How powerful is Cox Internet? So powerful that one day, your daughter will be able to simulate a soccer match against some of the world's best players right from your backyard. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Internet delivered through Cox's hybrid fiber coax network. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions apply. You only want what's best for your baby. And so does BJ's. BJ's offers a variety of baby products that will take you from playtime to bath time to bedtime and beyond. Shop now through September 24th at BJ's for $3 off Johnson's, Aveeno, or Desitin baby products. Only the best will do when it comes to caring for your little ones and for parents, too. Give your baby that special care and save big at BJ's. Welcome to The Approach Shot, the golf show that's more laughs than links, more stories than strokes, more guffaws than golfers. Here are the hosts of The Approach Shot, John Ashton and Neil Michaels. It is time for us. I'm John Ashton. He's Neil Michaels. Together, we become The Approach Shot. Well, actually, no, we don't. We Together, we do a show called The Approach Shot. We, yeah, we don't actually become anything. It's no. not like if we put our hands together and say, Shazam, we right. suddenly become something. Right. In fact, people have told us we are both unbecoming. <laughs> so there, there you go. <laughs> and people who listen to the show, show actually say, Shazam! <laughs> We have some some people coming. Yes, we're going to talk about golf. Yes, uh, in yeah, the, sh- in 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 one sense of the word, yeah, maybe we're going to be talking about sports. <laughs> well, there you go. Of which and golf is one. <laughs> yes, golf is one. And one of the things that's great about being the approach shot is we're golf flavored. Right. We're not necessarily golf centric. Right. So we will be more flavored than golf today. And if you are a sports fan, and especially if you're a baseball fan, and you have young kids, you are going to really dig our guest today, David Kelly. Yeah, he is an author. He writes mystery stories that take place in major league ballparks. The coolest idea ever, and I wish I had come up with it. Because (laughs) he has to do the research. Yeah, we should do the research of this at a bunch of golf courses, and maybe we could turn this into, same as we have this as a golf-flavored podcast, Mm -hmm. maybe the books could be golf-flavored in breweries. (laughs) And that's kind of an interesting follow-up to the fact that you were at a very interesting place enjoying a cocktail yourself this week. I was. I uh, I spent some time in the land of the $15 cocktail. <laughs> Churchill Downs on Derby Week. Of course, the price of those cocktails goes down to like three fifty after the Derby's run. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But beforehand, as long as there were tourists in town, 15 bucks, you get to keep the plastic cup. Look at you with a collection. So it's not really a $15 cocktail. It's a $10 cocktail and a $5 cup. Do you keep them? Uh, The the mint julep cups are collector's items because they have, you know, the date of the derby and and the number of the derby and then a list of all the winners of the previous derbies and stuff on it. But you can can buy those 
empty for like a buck fifty a piece. You don't have to get the mint julep. <laughs> I am trying to make you feel better about your fifteen dollar cocktail, John. Help me out here. Help me out. <laughs> oh no! See, they just pour it extra strong, so you don't don't even think about it. But oh, hey, I had three fifteen dollar cocktails. I yeah. had I had a bunch of free food. I watched oh. a bunch of races, and I walked out of there with nine dollars and eighty cents more than I walked in with. How could you possibly beat that? You can't. I've always said if you, if you go to Vegas or Atlantic City and you come out either even or up, think of all the entertainment value that you got for free. That's a big hello. Yeah. I was told one time, guy said, I have a foolproof method for walking out of Churchill Downs on Derby Day with a small fortune. And? He said, arrive with a large fortune. <laughs> <laughs> We've got more great advice (laughs) and two very interesting guests coming up. Hang with us on The Approach Show. Attention anyone who is impacted by the current pandemic and has $2,000 or more in credit card debt. If any credit card companies extended your credit with attractive interest rates or low minimum balances, and now because of it, you owe thousands of dollars in credit card debt, here's some really great news. It happened to millions of people at no fault of their own. But thanks to a powerful program now approved, anyone with $2,000 or more in credit card debt can cut their credit card payments up to half and reduce or eliminate interest charges altogether. That's right. Our nation wide nonprofit program is helping U.S. residents cut their credit card payments. We've helped over half a million people with their credit card debt, and now we can help you. Bad credit card debt happens to good people. Get free of credit card debt today. Call Credit Guard of America now at 800-672-6925 to see how this powerful nonprofit program can work for you. The call and information are free. Call 800-672-6925. That's 800-672-6925. Thanks for hanging and coming back. We are The Approach Shot, as we have mentioned multiple times. I hope you've gotten it by now. I'm John Ashton. I'm Neil Michaels, and I've got the approach shot tattooed on my forehead. That's what that is. walking around town, and they go, (laughs) who are you? Oh, I got it. (laughs) We uh, we do have a a guest with us who I'm sure is a lot more intelligent than having to tattoo anything on his forehead. David Kelly, author. How are you, sir? I'm very good, thanks. Nice to to be on the approach shot. Very happy to be here. And... uh, I am an author. I, I write children's books about uh, baseball. They're mysteries set in baseball stadiums. And I write some books about other sports as well. Enjoy getting out there, researching things, and, and sharing it with people. What, what's the age group of the children you write for? So I've got a series called The Ballpark Mysteries, which mm-hmm. are mysteries set in baseball stadiums, okay. MLB stadiums. And they're basically for kids ages kind of six to nine, kind of um, okay. second, third, fourth, maybe fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're great for both girls and boys. Uh, my two main characters are Kate and Mike and their cousins. And they go to different baseball stadiums to watch a game and then they encounter mystery. And I've got uh, readers as young as kindergarten or first grade, and I've got ones that stay with the series even after they've graduated to much larger books because they kind of like the mixture of um, fiction, you know, mysteries that I'm providing, as well as the nonfiction setting of a baseball stadium and some real uh, real teams and real stadiums and real baseball history into the books as well. Very cool. Neil, I understand you have a couple of them and you read them. Were you able to keep up? (laughs) 
Well, he did say six to nine, so I was just <laughs> barely inside there. So the interesting thing, David, I, that I found about this, first of all, I'm totally geeking out about this because I'm a huge baseball fan, as anybody who's listened knows. You did a, a, a book, this one here, called The Triple Play Twins, about the Minnesota Twins, of which who I have been a big fan since 1969. Um, and David and I actually had spoken uh, prior to coming on here, and he's actually having the book promoted by the catcher of the Minnesota Twins 1987 World Series winning team named mm. Tim Laudner. And, of course, he said the catcher of the Twins from the 87 team, and I immediately knew who it was and emailed him back, oh, my gosh, you're working with Tim Laudner. So it's <laughs> <laughs> just geeking out a little That bit. was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Boom. Of course, right he's no Carlton Fisk, but then who is? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so the interesting thing about this is I, I'm going to regress a bit. I'm a huge fan of John Grisham and he's one of the great mystery writers of our time. And he actually has a series that he has for teens called uh, the, the, the uh, protagonist is Theo Boone. Yep. And as an adult, I read these books, which are meant for teens and it's just an easy read. It's just, they always call those beach reads. And while the triple play twins and the LA Dodger and your series are maybe a little bit too young for it to be an easy read for an adult, they're magnificent reads like John, if you were to read it for your grandson, mm -hmm. because it gives some, there's some mystery, there's some um, excitement to it. They're, they're simple reads, but there's also some great factual stuff in there. And then at the end of the books, there's some, trivia stuff that's not meant to be trivia they're just facts like in the minnesota book uh it explains what a skyway connector is or when the twins won the world series or the fact that there's a giant gold glove sitting outside the stadium and as somebody who's been a fan but never gone to target field it just brought me right in it taught me things about the team it taught me things about baseball that i didn't know yeah, and that's one of the fun things. I love uh, writing the books as well as researching them, the, the ballpark mysteries since they're set in Major League Stadiums. Um, you know, one of the things I try to do is incorporate, you know, history and information and very unique or specific things about the teams or the stadiums or their history whenever I can. Um, and, and that was really the, the original um, genesis of these stories is that um, I've got two sons and and when they were back in elementary school they were you know reading a lot of mystery stories and reading a lot of sports stories and playing a lot of baseball and I thought hey it'd be really kind of cool to connect all these things and I looked around and in bookstores and libraries and I found baseball books and mystery books but I didn't find any baseball mysteries so I thought what a great opportunity and then I you know, thought about putting them in each of the major league stadiums. And it turns out it's actually a really great idea because each of the teams and stadiums is really different from each other. So I get a lot to work with and that allows me to come up with different mysteries. Um, and so when I start writing one of these books, I actually take a research trip out to whatever team or stadium I'm writing about. So uh, that's one of the great things about writing these Darn. books. They, they get some tax expenses uh, you go. Uh, to, uh, to go to baseball games and have some hot dogs. Um, and, uh, you know, that's the funny part. But it is actually a lot of work when I'm doing that research. It's it's not that I'm mm. kind of sitting back and just you watching are, games. I'm yeah, you are not going to convince us of yeah, that. Yeah, David, the IRS, no. doesn't, the IRS is enlisting, man. You don't have to go uh, let, that. Let me try. Come on. <laughs> An old friend of mine used to say, I was born at night, but I wasn't born last night. <laughs> have you ever well, found a stadium where there's nothing? You go, wait a minute, there's, there's, there's no history here. There's nothing. I got to move on. 
So I think you're talking about the Toronto Blue Jays stadium. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> um, <laughs> sure. I, uh, I got up to Toronto and uh, I mean, I start usually by doing a little bit of research before I go. There's actually a couple of uh, good books about the uh, baseball stadiums and history of the different teams, but I go up to Toronto and um, it's, the, the Toronto Blue Jays Stadium is frankly not very interesting. It was I don't know when it was built about 50 years ago in the in the in the late 70s or 80s. And and um, it's it's got a lot of seats. It's got a field and you go in there and it feels I don't know, it feels kind of hollow and empty. And um, I was kind of wondering how I was going to do it. They don't have a lot of great history necessarily up mm-hmm. there. They don't have the, the history that the Yankees, or the Red Sox have. But they do have one thing that is actually pretty cool, which I did make the centerpiece of the Toronto Blue Jays mystery, which is called the Rookie Blue Jay. They actually have a hotel built into the stadium behind center field. So you can check into your hotel room and open your windows. Uh, Mm -hmm. They slide open and watch the baseball game right from your hotel window. I understand at one time there was a couple that were sitting in that window and more people in the stadium were watching them than they were watching the game. Yeah, I can believe that. I didn't put that into my book. Uh, but uh, That's, that's in the cool. adult version. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I can't have certain things in my books. And you mentioned the, the Theodore Boone books. Uh, I think that first book starts with a murder. And that's one of the things my editor said I can't have as one of my mysteries. So uh, you're not yeah. going to find a, a murder mystery in one of these uh, kind of chapter books they're called for young kids. But um, yeah, the, the Toronto Blue Jays mystery worked out just fine because my characters uh, – watch a baseball game, and then they wake up in the middle of the night to get a glass of water, and they look out into the completely dark, blackened stadium. There's you know 40,000 empty seats, and they see a mysterious blue light flying back and forth down on the field. So they have to investigate that light, and the only reason they saw it is because they're in the hotel. So gotcha. um, I try to use whatever unique features of the stadium that I can to kind of help me come up with the mystery. Well, well, and as, as a Twins fan, I, I, I told John this this morning before we got on, I said – you know, you taught me some things that I didn't know. And again, as a lifetime Twins fan, when the when the Washington Senators moved to Minnesota to become the Minnesota Twins, they played at the Metropolitan Stadium until they be- built the abomination that was the Metrodome downtown. Yeah. And and I did not know this, but where Metropolitan Stadium was is where they built the Mall of America. And so that was shocking thing. Number one, I had no idea that. And then number two, if you go into the Mall of America, I read this in your book and learned it from that, they actually have home plate where the home plate was for Metropolitan Stadium in the Mall of America. And if you go looking for it, you will find a a home plate that's there that has a little bit of information. And that's where the home plate was for Metropolitan Stadium. Very cool stuff. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And actually, so it's not just in the Mall of America. It's actually in the giant indoor amusement park that they have in the middle of the Mall of America. So the amusement park with roller coasters, Ferris wheels, log flume rides is actually built on the site of the old Metropolitan Stadium. And as you said, there's a brass plate on the floor, uh, like in front of the roller coaster line. And you can go see where that is. And then like 450 feet on the other side of the amusement park on the wall, they've actually mounted uh, one of the red stadium chairs in the location that used to be in the old stadium to mark the location of one of the home runs that was was hit by um yeah, by, by their famous player. So it's kind of cool. You can be on the log flume ride, and you'll see the red chair above you as you go along one of the log flume areas. <laughs> wow. See, still, so not convincing us, still not convincing us this is hard work. 
Oh, it is. It is. <laughs> I have to take notes and pictures, and I have to uh, I have to read about the team, and I uh, I have to sit down and write. That's the hard part. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, he has to like read up about teams like the Toronto Blue Jays. That's right, true. You know? exactly. <laughs> That's okay, work, so, man. <laughs> so, as a as a Red Sox fan growing up, I you know the, talk about the the history of a team. The Red Sox have one of those stadiums that have that that just bring nostalgia to your heart and and such. Have Have you done a Red Sox book? I assume so. Yeah, so I live I live outside of Boston. So of course, the first book in the series was a Boston Red Sox book called The Fenway Foul Up. Uh, my two characters, Kate and Mike, go to Fenway Park and they're watching batting practice. They're watching a, the Red Sox star hitter Big D hit a whole lot of home runs during batting practice, and then at the end of the first chapter, at the end of batting practice. Big D's lucky baseball bat gets stolen. So they have to figure out what happened to the missing baseball bat. And with Fenway Park, um, one of the cool things in the stadium that not necessarily a lot of people know is they may know about the Green Monster, which is this giant um, left field wall. It runs from left field to center field. It's about 40 feet high. It's painted green. That's why it's called the Green Monster. Uh, they actually put some some nice seats on top of that a bunch of years ago. So it's kind of fun place to watch a game from. But at the bottom of the green monster, there's actually a scoreboard. And in the middle of the scoreboard, there's different sections of the scoreboard uh, separated by white lines. And there's one section that shows scores for other games that are happening that day. But those white lines that divide the sections of the scoreboard actually have some green markings on them. And it turns out those little green dots and dashes are actually Morse code. And the Morse code is there because it's a secret message. Um, and so my characters, Mike and Kate, come across this secret message in the middle of Fenway Park <laughs> when they're looking for the missing baseball bat. And that gives them an idea of where to look for the missing baseball bat. So the secret message is actually the initials of the previous owners of the Boston Red Sox, Mr. and Mrs. Yawkey. Uh, the Yawkeys owned the Red Sox and Fenway Park, and they wanted to put their initials on the scoreboard. But they didn't want it to be really visible. So they turned him into Morris Code and hid their initials on the scoreboard. It's a pretty cool feature. It's still there today. And so I use that in the book as one of the clues that my characters come across that gives them an idea of where to find the missing baseball bat. Very cool. See, Very that's cool. what I love. That's what I when I when I was going through them, what yeah. I love is again, for the kids, the stories are great and you've woven in some of the the uh, fabric of the story with what's going on at the stadium. But then as a baseball fan, as an adult, the things that you see at the end, I'm sure that's at the end to, to learn about the Yawkeys. And that scoreboard is the only hand-working scoreboard in the entire Major League Baseball where somebody actually puts a one up if they score, if the team scores a run. It's fascinating. And I love the way that you've, you've woven the, the nostalgia of the stadiums into the books. The numbers are in yellow until the inning is over. Yeah, and right. then they put up the white number. Ah, see, look yeah. at you with yep. that. Yep, that's pretty good. Yep, and and that's one of the things with with a team like the Red Sox. There's there's probably five more mysteries I could write because of all those interesting features of either the stadium or the history of the team. Mm. I'm not sure I could get another Toronto Blue Jays mystery, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Cubs or the Yankees or, or the Red Sox. You, you were probably pushing it the first time, David. That's <laughs> <I just> right. <laughs> 
and, and of course, all kinds of interesting things that can that can be done. And yeah. that's one of the fun things is trying to figure out what the right mystery is. You know, when I when I wrote book number three, the L.A. Dodger out uh, in California, uh, I, I bring in some of the history of the team. It moved from from Brooklyn, so mm-hmm. that kind of figures into the mystery a little bit. And it's always fun to kind of figure out what what I can put into the story. Yeah, we're gonna come right back in a little bit, and we're gonna probably give David some ideas about uh, maybe doing some. Or maybe we'll just steal his idea and use it for golf. We're not sure yeah, how it's going to work, go. but uh, we'll be right back. We're going to we're going to think a little bit. Hang out. We've got David Kelly with us here on the Approach Shop. You're still running your business on QuickBooks. QuickBooks, more like quicksand. You do know that the bigger your company grows, the faster you sink with outdated software that just can't keep up, right? It's Neil Michaels, and as a business owner myself, let me ask you this. Do you have time to deal with manual processes, multiple systems, delays, and scrambling to get the numbers you need? Yeah, I didn't think so. It's time to get out of the quicksand and get on solid ground with NetSuite. NetSuite by Oracle helps you automate your key business processes and close your books in a fraction of the time. Think days, not weeks. In fact, 93% of surveyed organizations increased visibility and control over their business since making the switch from QuickBooks to NetSuite. Right now, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind financing program only for those ready to graduate from QuickBooks. Head over to netsuite.com slash approach. That's special financing for you graduates at netsuite.com slash approach. Again, netsuite.com slash approach. See, I told you we'd be right back, and here we are. I'm John Ashley. You don't lie. I don't. I never have. No. 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 Well, I did what I did that one time, but we don't we don't that have was, to get into that, that story, right? That was more a, an untruth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's Neil Michaels, and David Kelly, author, is with us. And David, the the idea of writing sports oriented mysteries for kids. I would think that that would be an enticement for kids who may be not excited about reading to get excited about reading. Yeah, absolutely. These things, uh, my, my books, The Ballpark Mysteries and my MVP series, uh, since they are kind of about sports and mysteries, work really well for kind of reluctant readers, mm-hmm. uh, both boys and girls. So uh, I, I find that that they're both really interested in the mysteries and um, the reluctant readers oftentimes like the, the nonfiction angle. So the fact that they're set in a realistic place or with a team that they've heard about or know about mm-hmm. and they get to learn something. And that seems to be a real strong hook for some of the more reluctant readers. And um, so it's, it's fun for me to try to, to work those facts in and to write the books that way. Okay, so I'm now I'm going to take the cue of what you said. In my hands, I have the basketball blowout from the MVP series yep. and the soccer surprise from the MVP series. David, we're a golf podcast, man. We're going to put some pressure on you. Oh, boy. <laughs> the interesting thing about all of your books is the nostalgic feel that you get from talking about Fenway Park and Yankee Stadium and such. And you get that same feel when you talk about Augusta National for the Masters or St. Andrews, the great golf course, or some of the other ones. So how do we get an MVP golf book written? 
Well, I'd be happy to send you a contract. <laughs> we start working on it next week. There would be no problem. <laughs> you'll you'll so, just be our editor, right? That's right. So, uh, you know, we, we did four books in the MVP series, and it's a, it's a different group of characters that I have in my ballpark mystery series. There's five main characters, and they, they take place at an elementary school, and it starts off with kind of a school Olympics mystery. And then there's, as you reference, a soccer mystery, a football mystery, and a basketball mystery. And I was kind of hoping that that series would continue and we would be able to do other sports but uh the sales on that series were not sufficient for us to go deeper into it um i because don't there's no golf. because there's no golf exactly i didn't realize that you know that was definitely a strategic error right at the, right at the start you need a new a new publishing house, man. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll work on it. You know, I get a lot of requests for hockey books, and I, I don't know if I've ever gotten a request for a golf that's, book. It's only from your neighbors, David, only from your neighbors, because <laughs> okay. outside of New England, no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably true. So aside from being an author on these books, you're also a travel author. That's and, right. And John and I talk an awful lot about um, travel and golf together because it is such a you – know, it's a big reason – the people go um, certain places, you know, if they know that they're going to, my wife just texted me right before we got here. Hey, let's go to the mountains in August and we're going to be right next to a golf course. She didn't think, well, he's going to bring his golf clubs, but then maybe she did so she could have some quiet. <laughs> yeah. Do you find when you write about travel, because I know you've written your, your um, career kind of started with you writing about the islands and, and mm-hmm. Bermuda and such you find that travel and golf go together? And when you write, is that part of what you find is enticing? Well, absolutely. I'd say definitely they do. Um, I haven't written a lot of golf stories. I've written a bunch of travel stories for newspapers, magazines, and and websites. And, um, you know, everything, as you said, from Bermuda to uh, one of my favorite ones was finding the best hotel pools in Hawaii. So that was uh, kind of fun to go to Hawaii and test out the different pools. Um, I, I have you have work. such a scam mentality, David. It's fantastic. I want to no, grow, this is I want to grow this up is and be work. you, you man. <laughs> People will say, why did you have David Kelly on? It's like, because everybody wants to be you. Exactly. <laughs> Well, I haven't done that with golf courses, uh, and and uh, you know, I, well, I don't, don't play because a lot of it's golf our gig now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I could. <laughs> there we, there we go, Neil. The best golf courses wherever. We'll write the book. Right. That'll get Absolutely. us what at least one free round everywhere we want to go. Right. <laughs> or I could do the best breweries near golf courses. That would be fun. <laughs> there you go. The best gourmet restaurants at. At uh, clubs. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but I mean, real, exactly. realistically speaking, if it wasn't for golfers, no one would visit St. Andrews, Scotland, <laughs> because there's nothing there other than golf courses. Right. You Same know. with Augusta, Georgia. Yeah. I, I live in Atlanta. The reason you go to Augusta is to see yeah. Augusta, and then you turn around and go back to Atlanta. Because there was a song <laughs> in the late 70s by the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band with the line in at Augusta, Georgia, just ain't no place to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, David, the, the path that you took to get to become a Random House writer and, and former Random House guy here myself, I, I had a little gig in the, in the late 80s with them, um, started with you getting to wear a cowboy hat, a cowboy shirt, and cowboy boots. 
Yeah. So I, uh, I didn't start out as a writer and I actually, uh, back when, when I was in school and college, I did not like to write. So, uh, <laughs> I, I was always one of those ones struggling to figure out what the first sentence was going to be or what I was going to write about in school or whenever the teacher made an assignment. So I never kind of imagined, um, writing a book or, or authoring like 25 as I have so far. Um, I did like to read, so I enjoyed reading a lot of books and I enjoyed mystery books actually, but, um, I, um, uh, I started out, you know, as a busboy at a restaurant. I think that's what you're referring to at a, at a, at a, at a cowboy restaurant called S kickers, uh, I got all the free uh, chips and salsa I could eat and had some nice cheap beers at the end of the uh, shift. So that was always fun. But um, I actually went to school for technology. So I went to school for uh, computer science and technology, and I got a job in the Boston area working with computers, programming, uh, doing that kind of stuff, and did that for a bunch of years. And then I started having to write about technology as part of my job, so I kind of moved more to the marketing side and ended up working, you know, learning how to write better uh, and more. And then, as you mentioned before, I kind of thought it would be fun to do some more creative writing. So I started kind of doing travel writing on the side. Uh, so writing about the, the pools in Hawaii or the best walking trail in Bermuda or uh, Euro Disney over in Paris and mm -hmm. things like that. And that was kind of fun. And uh, then when my sons were younger, uh, they were reading, you know, sports books and mystery books. And I thought it seems like a really good idea. So yeah. that was how I ended up uh, authoring about 27 books so far for mostly for Random House. That's, I think and, the, the 27 books puts you in the prolific category, does it not? Yeah, it probably does. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty good it's a pretty good run. I mean, these books are not Harry Potter. They're not a thousand words, uh, a thousand pages. <laughs> Thank God. Pages. Yeah, or, or 10,000 <laughs> words. But it's been a good amount of work that I've done. And uh, certainly it's fun to see all the books on the shelf. Yeah. And which stadium and team are um, are you looking forward to doing next? Well, the next book coming out, actually, the, the Triple Play Twins, the Minnesota Twins book just came out this year. And the next one coming out is next year. It's going to be the Atlanta Braves book, the Atlanta Alibi. And uh, I'm kind of excited about that book because um, it includes a big focus on Hank Aaron. And he uh, did just pass away this this year. But right. uh, when I was younger, I actually got to meet him briefly. Uh, oh, I lived, right. I grew up near uh, the Cooperstown Hall of Fame, about an hour away from that. And the baseball teams used to come through and play uh, a Cooperstown Hall of Fame Day game. Mm -hmm. And so I think in 1974, uh, the Atlanta Braves actually came through and played and they stayed in New Hartford. I grew up in New Hartford, New York, and uh, that was like the closest hotel. Mm -hmm. um, so the Atlanta Braves team stayed there. Uh, at the local hotel and my father, we knew they were staying there, but they kept everybody out. But my father knew that there was a restaurant at the hotel. So he he brought us down in the morning, my brother and I, and said, told the um, security people that we were going into the restaurant. And we went into the restaurant and had breakfast. And then right across from us was basically Hank Aaron and all the other Atlanta Braves. Mm. And I got him to sign a baseball for me. So that was pretty cool. Fantastic. Very cool. It would cool. be a, a good reason for you to become a, a baseball writer and a baseball fan. Yeah. It's interesting that that you that you're doing Atlanta and have just done Minneapolis. Uh, both cities have had multiple stadiums. I lived in Atlanta for ten years. John lived in Atlanta. Um, you know, it, it was originally Fulton County Stadium, then it was Turner Field, and now they're in in the new stadium that was just built a few years ago. And so it kind of harkens back to what we were talking about earlier with Yankee Stadium and with Fenway Park, with so many having so much turnover to have stadiums that have been there for a while really does make you wax nostalgic 
yeah. about Dodger Stadium and Yankee Stadium, Fenway Park, and, and even Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And that's, that is the fun thing about seeing the different teams in, in person and seeing the different stadiums, both that are existing as well as the ones that have, have built new stadiums. And the Atlanta Braves new stadium is, is really quite nice. Gorgeous. And it's pretty cool that you can go to the old Fulton County Stadium and actually see uh, see the outline they have it's now a parking lot yeah. but they have the base pass in embedded in the parking lot and the home plate embedded in the parking lot where Hank Aaron broke Babe Ruth's record wow. and they actually have a section of the wall that's still up it's in the middle of this parking lot so you can kind of imagine that you are uh, Hank Aaron uh, beating Babe Ruth's record on that amazing shot isn't uh, Nickerson Field in Boston where the Braves used to play when they were the Boston Braves, the Boston Braves. it's still, it it's yeah, still there isn't it yeah, yeah. But I haven't written a book about it yet. Yeah. <laughs> you will. No, you're right. Right. You're writing a Braves book. You got to work it in there a little bit, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As if we haven't asked him enough questions, yeah. we've got six more, do we not? Oh, we do. And we'll get to them when we come right back. We are the approach shot. You know, nobody is perfect. Sometimes the best golfers, the guys that make all the money, three-putt with the tournament on the line. So if you feel like you're coming up short in the bedroom sometimes, it's perfectly okay. But if it's bothering you, there are options. Go to GetRoman.com slash GolfGuys now. You see, with Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and the privacy of your home. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward and, importantly, discreet. So get started. It's simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash GolfGuys and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving home. Complete an online visit today to connect with the doctor and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash GolfGuys now and get $15 off your first month. Look, this is a straightforward way to take care of your ED. GetRoman.com slash GolfGuys. Get started now to save 15% on your first month of treatment. GetRoman.com slash GolfGuys. Uh, this is the approach shot. I am John Ashton. He is Neil Michaels. Author David Kelly is with us, and we have gotten down to the nitty gritty here, David. This is a six pack. I know when he said we're going to have a six pack at the end, you got excited, but it's a six pack of questions. Sorry, that's as it's it's dry. Other than that, let's put you on the hot seat, David. Six pack of questions. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Question number one. I'll start with an easy one. What's your favorite sports movie? What's my favorite sports movie? I would probably say Field of Dreams. Mm-hmm. Spoken know. like a true baseball fan. Yeah. I was going to say, there's a baseball writer. <laughs> okay. Easy yeah. one. Good. Question two. Which would you prefer, the Red Sox winning another World Series or be on the New York Times bestseller list? Oh, that's <laughs> a tough one. <laughs> it's supposed to be. <laughs> Well, let's see. I would I would take the second choice. Ah, very <laughs> selfish of you, David Kelly. Very well, selfish. you know, I got to look out for number one. <laughs> very good. All right, here we go. You ready for this? Yeah. We all know that writers sometimes go on, we'll call them creative journeys. Mm-hmm. So when writing, what one idea or creative tangent had you laughing to yourself so hard that as you wrote it, you didn't think you could finish? 
what creative tangent? Well, I, I don't know that I was laughing that hard, but I certainly enjoyed it in my book, The Missing Marlin. It's it's my very popular uh, Miami Marlins mystery. Actually, it's one of my worst sellers. Um, <laughs> it takes place in Miami. They don't have a lot of fans down there. But uh, when I was writing the Miami Marlins book, they the Marlins actually have a fish tank in their stadium right behind home plate. It's a giant aquarium. And it basically kind of is about 80 feet long or so. And it's a glass fish tank filled with drop fish um and it's pretty cool no other stadium has a fish tank so of course it was a, an important part of my mystery and my main characters kate mike see something strange in the fish tank that shouldn't be there so they have to investigate it but as i was writing that book i kind of kind of thought it'd be fun to create my own fish so i actually created a baseball fish it's kind of a a puffer fish that is just kind of white and red but when it blows itself up it blows itself up into a cylindrical shape like a baseball with some red stitching around it you can actually see it on the cover of the of the book so that was the book yeah so i made it to cover the book and it's kind of fun to to have created my own fish david kelly creating his own wildlife very nice (laughs) okay Question four, living or dead, who would you like to sit down with, have a cold beverage, and talk sports with? Uh, let's see. Um, Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> okay. I, he, he would probably love baseball. You know, I just yeah. I think he'd be all for it. There you go. See, I, was, I would have bet you said Babe Ruth because one of your books is about yeah. the, uh, the, the, the pinstripe and Babe Ruth. Here's a, yep. Can I just jump in here with a little, little quick aside? little trivia for you, David. Second yeah. in command at Fort Sumter the day the Civil War started. Abner, Abner Doubleday? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Who, did not, who did not invent baseball, but <laughs> you know, let's, let's go with that. But he decided not to take the world serious. Yeah. I mean, oh, <laughs> see, this is why we don't let you in this section of the show. I'm sorry. Question number five, most embarrassing thing to ever happen to you that you feel you have grown from? Wow. Most embarrassing thing. (sighs) Um, Probably the most embarrassing thing is being on a golfing podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel I feel like I'm growing from it. I'm learning to say no. That's what I'm learning. I think you're only going to grow if we actually get to the point where we have one of the MVP books on a golf course. But again, no pressure. No pressure bringing that back to your editor. Finally, question six. We ask this to everyone who uh, appears on the show. Because we are the approach shot, in your approach to life, what one rule do you live by? I think persistence. So I I would not be a published author if I was not persistent because I had this great idea of saying writing these uh, baseball mysteries, but it took me about five years to get to that point. And I had to rewrite that first book about four times and get a lot of feedback and really stick with it. So I think whether it's golf or life, uh, persistence often plays a lot more of a factor than skill or talent and and sometimes even luck. So that would be my take. And you'll hear a lot of persistence from... uh from Neil after he emails you every week about that MVP book on the golf course. <laughs> uh, hey, I, Kelly, you are off the hot seat. Thank you. You are, Thanks David, but it is now time for shameless self-promotion, man. How do people get a hold of your books? Where are they available? And where can people find you and all that kind of good stuff? Well, thank you. Yeah, my books, uh, The Ballpark Mysteries, the MVP stories are available basically at all bookstores. They're distributed by Random House. You can get them online at Amazon.com or your local bookstore is a great place to buy them. You can also visit my website, which is davidakellybooks.com. 
And you can also buy signed copies there uh, at davidakellybooks.com or sign up for my newsletter or check out some of the details behind those books. And uh, that's probably the best place to look. I got to tell you, once again, as, as a big fan of the books and a big fan of, of the way you write, it's if, if you are a baseball fan with a young child between six and nine or younger or older, and you just want some really cool information for yourself at the end, these books are just great. The Ballpark Mystery. Pick one up today. They are great. David thank Kelly, you much. thank you for spending time with us here on The Approach Shot. Rolls you into recurring automated text messages. Message and data rates may apply. Men, want to feel younger, stronger, leaner? You don't have to slow down after 40. Frank Thomas found the secret to staying in shape with the energy and drive of his 20s. Man, you look like you could still hit it a mile. I feel great too. What gives? After 40, men slow down. It's harder to stay in shape. Why? Our free testosterone levels drop. It happened to me. And then I found Nugenix Total T. New Nugenix Total T is our most powerful man-boosting formula ever because it boosts your free testosterone and your total testosterone. Nugenix Total T helps provide even more energy, performance, testosterone, and muscle-boosting ingredients for even better results. To get your complimentary bottle of Nugenix Total T, text GRIT to 321321. Samples are not available in stores. Well, wait. What are you going to do something about it now? I got to try Nugenics Total Tea. Text GRIT to 321321 for your complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea. That's G R I T to 321321. And now it's time for Golf is a Funny Game. Now back to your host, John Ashton, and that other fella, Neil something. Can I go now? I hope that the audience is not anywhere near as bored as Mr. Big Voice is. For all the times that we said he needs decaf, <laughs> apparently he OD'd on it. <laughs> you can do that. <laughs> we are running in, and even Mr. Big Voice is going to be laughing when you get done with uh, our next guest for Golf is a Funny Game. Lou sure. Santini. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. How are you guys doing? Doing good. great, man. I was really, uh, really intrigued when I was reading on your Facebook page that you like conversations with radio people. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, this is going to be fun, finally. Right. <laughs> this will be easy. <laughs> well, I, said, I, I, I did radio for 11 years, six days a week in Northeast Ohio. So, you know, that right. was uh, way back. And some local TV hosting as well. But, uh, yeah, that's that's where you, that's where you get, your, uh, get your start, I guess, in stand-up. I think I had a little bit of a head start there. Yeah, and, and go ahead and drop the name of the station because that's a big station in Cleveland. You were on. Yeah, the last one I worked at was WMMS in Cleveland. I mean, it that's, definitely is. Yeah, that's it the monster. Is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was really lucky in that. I mean, all, all four of my state, a lot of a lot of DJs. You know, they work. Sometimes they just they're very nomadic. They work all over the country, and they feel like they have to work at thirty different radio stations. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was more important to build an audience, especially in my hometown in Northeast Ohio. So all four radio stations I worked at. We're in Northeast Ohio, but I was really lucky to be part of what was called the next generation uh, at WMMS in Cleveland. They still have the buzzard logo when you were working? They do. I, I, I got time for a quick funny story? I okay. do. So, yeah, yeah, no, no time for funny stories on the show. Get out. That's a dumb question. <laughs> anyway, so the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I was actually the second DJ on the planet to broadcast from the radio station there. Cool. And they also had, uh, I was actually there for the ribbon cutting. I, I covered the ribbon cutting ceremony when they did that. I got to walk through it in a hard hat while they were still building it. So the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, about every, I don't know, four, five, six months or even a year, they'll have a special temporary exhibit. 
maybe it's a salute to Motown or a salute to heavy metal or, you know, maybe a, a British music, that kind of thing. Well, one year, since my radio station was instrumental in bringing the Rock and Roll right. Hall of Fame to Cleveland before I worked there, they did a special salute to WMMS. So hmm. I was living in Los Angeles at the time, and a, a, fr a, fan, a friend of mine who was a fan and now became a lifelong friend here, she goes, hey, are you going back to Cleveland anytime soon? I said, why? She goes, because there's a whole exhibit there to WMMS, and your photo is hanging in there. Whoa. Wow. So, I mean, how, how many people can say, you know, they've been in a Hall of Fame, right? So I coincidentally happened to be performing in Ohio, and my mom and I went up there, and uh, you're not allowed to take pictures, but how can I not sneak a picture <laughs> of, of me pointing at a picture of me in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? So I said, Mom, just kind of do it on the sly. She whips out her phone. She takes a couple blurry ones and finally gets a good one of me pointing at my, my headshot from back in the day. No joke. While I'm walking around looking at the exhibit of all the other history of WMMS that goes back into the early 70s, mm -hmm. I'm just looking at photos and there's my photo and there's a stranger at the, at the Rock Hall. And he just kind of looks at me and mumbles, goes, Luciantini, never like that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and of course, my photo, my hair was longer and I looked younger. And he kind of looks at the photo, looks at me, looks at the photo, looks at me. And then real sheepishly, he goes, I really don't know why I said that. <laughs> and, I, and I said, it's totally fine. I said, no, not everyone needs to like my show. He goes, no, really. I know I listen to you almost every day at work. I think I was just trying to be conversational. I don't know why I took that route and said I didn't like you. And he, he went to buy me coffee. I'm like, really, dude, we're, we're not dating. It's fine. It's all right. <laughs> I mean, every, everybody who's either been in radio or lived anywhere in the Midwest knows WMMS. Oh, you know what? I've been, I wouldn't say I've been all over the world, but I've been all over Europe and uh, I've been to Mexico, I've been to Canada and all over the country performing. If by some chance it comes up, someone goes, oh, I know that station, the yeah. buzzer. Yeah. I mean, I was getting stopped in Spain when I was wearing yeah. my WMMS, like a hat on or something like that. People were like, oh, the, the, in Cleveland. I'm like, wow. I mean, it's. <laughs> It's one of the most notorious stations in the world. I was really lucky to be a part of it. Yeah, so people now go to Hinkley to watch the buzzards return. You know, that's, that's, exact, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. But radio creates uh, lifelong friends, lifelong stories. Um, oh yeah, yeah. You know, I was one of those guys who who you know my hometown was New York City, so okay. it's kind of like well, a little rough to get a job here. Yeah. Unless you well, got, yeah, you know. I, mean, I, I was actually a guest on Z100 way back when, too, when I was at MMS. Oh, cool. Yeah, my first yeah. my first real radio job was as a production assistant at WABC. So I tell wow. people I started there, you know, and then worked my way down ever since. Yeah, that's but, the uh, tough part, living in New York. Yeah. <laughs> that's the number one market in the country. Yeah, it's, it's you know, but one of the best things that ever happened, you'll appreciate this, was I got, I brought a bunch of tapes in. Uh, and the uh, engineer, I was trying to tell him what to do. And the engineer said, uh, John, why don't you just go wait in the air studio and I'll have this done in a few minutes. So I sat right. for an hour and a half with Dan Ingram while he mm, was doing wow. his show. With who? Who was that name again? Dan Ingram. Okay, the, I, thought, I thought so. Yeah. Who you said. <laughs> Probably yeah, the best uh, top 40 jock ever in oh, history. Oh, yeah. 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 And I was uh, double checking that last name there. Good yeah, for you. Yeah. He, uh, I just, I absorbed a bunch that, that served me well further down the road there but uh well you know yeah. i mean you said you started at the top and worked your way down but you probably got in one uh, how long were you there an hour and a half no no i mean how long were you at the station oh six months okay you probably learned more in six months at abc than if you worked five years at a small market station yeah 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 True. you know 
Exactly. Well, and you mentioned Z100. The the program director there for a while was Steve Kingston. Yep. Yep. Who was the program director at this small AM station in Maryland where I was. And I was trying and I was trying to get him to hire me. and, And it was it was one of those things. Every Monday I would call him and he'd say, send me a tape. Call me next Monday. And it was his way of trying to get me to evolve. And finally, after about a year and a half, the last week that I called him, he said, I'm leaving the station. I'm going to New York, but you're hired. Now get out of here. And so <laughs> his last, I guess one of the last things he did was put me on the air. And that's probably why he left town. <laughs> and thus the demise of Steve Kingston began. That's right. Well, you know, your story is similar to mine, how I got hired at MMS, because John Gorman was the uh, consultant for Rock 107 in North Canton, where I worked. And my ratings were, you know, I was doing really, really well. But, you know, this, I mean, I just wasn't making the money just yet. And I was getting tired of not being paid what I was worth. So mm-hmm. Gorman, uh, he started WMMS and then he came back to MMS as part of the next generation. So he and I was actually considering this is probably about year seven when I was in radio. I was thinking, yeah, maybe I'm going to do something else or try to get out of this market. Who knows? And he said, hey, I'm starting up a new staff at the next generation. I'd like to be a part of it. And I kind of like, yeah, OK. And then he calls a week later. He says, well, I need your tape and resume. And I said, yeah, I'll get to that. I've just been busy here at the station. I had a side business and I was doing appearances and stuff. Third time he called, he goes, look, you are hired, but I can't officially hire you until you bring, send me a tape and a resume. <laughs> I just wasn't getting it, you know, and, and, and I still was on the fence because I thought, man, what if I go up there and I move? And then, uh, you know, after a week, I can't hang with the majors, you know, in the major leagues and then I'm gone. Yeah. And uh, finally it took an ex-girlfriend and uh, some other people who were, uh, at the radio station, like, what are you doing? Go. And I, it was the best decision I ever made. Do you find comedy uh, easier to do when people are looking at you rather than just staring into a microphone and imagining people out there? I, I don't think I understand. What do you mean? Like when you're on the radio, did you do comedy? Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. You know, it's funny, too, because it was a it was a learning experience because it was a great test because I would say something funny on the radio. And you don't have the immediate feedback of applause or right. laughter, right? right? Unless someone calls immediately, which is very rare. Yeah. But I would get people calling me like, hey, remember that thing you said six months ago? I'm like, no, I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but, they, but they say, oh, I was in my car. I was laughing my butt off. And I just thought it was so funny. Um, on the other hand, I would go do personal appearances and I would learn like, oh, well, well this jer- joke worked on the radio. So it probably will work in front of a live audience. It doesn't. No. Some, <laughs> thing, some things that worked at personal appearances, I'm like, well, I got to remember to use that on the air. Then I would use it on the radio, would fall flat. Why? Yep. Because you don't have that timing element. Yep. You know, you don't have an audience right there. So it was a really good education. You know, it, it was a, a nice natural progression into stand up, which is still entirely different than both. Yeah. I was lucky in, in as much as I had a. Through, I'm okay. sorry. No. I was going to say, and, and that has progressed into you doing a dry bar comedy special last week, right? Yep, yep. I did two shows last night in Salt Lake City. Those had to be clean. I mean, it's, it's that's why it's dry bar comedy. I mean, yeah. uh, it's weird, no no lie, to, to look out of the audience and see people instead of beer and, and liquors and cocktails on the tables, they're eating candy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they have, they have soft drinks and water, but they're eating candy. No, no, no meals or whatever. It's just, but that's the essence of that. They want a real pure comedy experience they don't want i mean you can't have you can't be taping those type of shows and then have drunk people you know yelling and heckling and getting up in the middle and you know no no lie i did a show not too long ago and uh i'm 
backstage in the green room and all of a sudden the guy comes and goes, he, all of a sudden he goes to his earpiece. He's like, all right, I have to go. I go, what happened? He goes, someone just threw up all over themselves. Oh, <laughs> too much candy. Yeah. yeah. No, no, not at that show. Not oh, at that oh, okay. show. It a, yeah, yeah, it was a different show where they were serving alcohol. And he, and I'm like, wow, that's, that's gotta be great for the showroom. I can't wait to go out and get a whiff of that, but yeah. all over herself. I'm like, you're a grown woman. What are you doing? Uh, yeah. Hopefully not in the front row with the, with the wind right, blowing. Right. Well, you know, I said, I've seen it though. I mean, you do comedy 24 years. I've seen that happen. I, I've seen that happen. Uh, so, so do you feel uh, better when the laughs are, are strong from an audience that's not half inebriated? Um, you know, I've never thought about that. That's a really good question. Um, I don't feel like I've earned it more. <laughs> working clean. I, I would even say working clean is harder. A lot of comedians say, oh, working clean is really hard. There's clean in meaning no foul language. Right. And then there's clean in terms of subject matter. Right. So at, at Dry Bar, you know, there's certain subject matters they don't want you to do. And also, of course, no swearing because, you know, that, but the good thing about that particular setup is the audience goes in knowing that the comedians are going to be clean. Right. Mm-hmm. What is tough when is when you're doing a comedy club and everyone's doing whatever they want. And I've done biker rallies for 60,000 people, which of course anything goes, but when you go in there and you're working really clean and they're, they've had a few drinks and I'm like, come on, we want to hear some, you know, body stuff that, that can be tougher. Yeah. That, that is definitely yeah. tougher. Yeah. Well, but some subject matter, like the bit that you do, which just had me on the floor, um, about uh, turning left in Los Angeles, which if for, for people who don't live in L.A., I've been there now enough times living in San Diego that I learned early enough. I'd rather do a, a mile loop going to the right <laughs> and try to turn left in Los Angeles because you're just going to sit there for for a long, long time. I've literally been in left turn lanes for five revolutions of the light. I'm like, I've heard an entire album side. <laughs> <laughs> Stairs, I'm like, am I going to run out of gas at this red light? I mean, I've had that, and that's any left turn lane. But yeah, LA, if you're not in the top two or three in that left turn lane, it's like, well, this is where we live now. This, this, is, this is our new mailing address. Put the car in park. You know. And and how do so? If if you would indulge me, yes, please do do a little bit of that because okay. I mean, the, here's you know the beauty of this bit, as I call it, and and of course you know this. People are still calling comedy skits. I'm like, oh, <laughs> skits. But it's okay. They don't know. But the beauty of that bit is I had to do a very little crafting of it because it, right. it, it, it happened. It, all right. So I'm trying to make a left turn lane in it, waiting for the green arrow. I am car number three. There's a car up front at the red light, car number two behind him, then me. I'm car number three and like six or seven other cars behind me. And I've said this before. Patience is not my best quality. <laughs> and the green arrow came on and I gave it like four or five Mississippis and no, and no one's moving. So I admit it. I honk. I didn't like blast the horn out of anger. I kind of would do what I call the scuff honk. You kind of go, burk, burk, and you kind of <laughs> run your hand over it. So just to let them know, like, look, we're not going to get into a fight. It's just like, stop texting you amateur and go. <laughs> but the reason I got upset is like, why am I even the guy honking? I'm car number three. That's car number two's job. <laughs> right. That is the job. If you're car number two, you are the representative of everyone. You're the spokesperson. We are counting on you to speak on our behalf. 
But then it got worse because card number two gives me the finger and then honks backwards at me. No, no, you you can't honk and fling one back and I can't bank one off the wall. Honks go, that's honking 101. When you honk the horn, it's no, it honks go this way. Honks go forward. That's, no. And and that's one of those bits too. I'll get off stage. People are like, oh my God. Like you said, that honking bit. I'm like, yeah, that happens to me all the time. I'm like, that's the beauty of a bit like that. It's universal. Mm-hmm. It's not dated. It's clean. Yeah. You know, and that, that's one of those A-list bits like you could pull out of your arsenal and you know like this is always going to hit. And that would be a bit that would even work on the radio because oh, it's just universally appealing to everybody. Yeah, yeah. And related. Related. That, that's yeah. when you really hit the jackpot. And yeah. that's one of those bits I bet you I sat on that thing for probably five years before I did it. Really? And the funny thing about it is when you say, you know, I gave it four or five seconds, everybody has been at a light either behind – you know, car yeah. number one and two, or just behind one car, and you kind of go one, two, okay, when? And then right. people will say, "Well, I'm not a honker." Well, then you're an idiot. You're sitting. You're going to sit there if you don't honk. Because you're right. The guy's texting, or he's looking at his shoes, or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I, mean, I, I admit it. I, I never get mad when someone honks me out of my days, so to speak, mm-hmm. because I don't want to be the guy holding up the works, man. I, I just don't. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to be the subject of some other comedian's bit, but I want to, I want to, I want to get going, but I just don't, we've all sat there and you're like, all right, how soon is too soon to honk? You know, it's, it's not like the drag races, like the Christmas trees, like great, oh, bam, you hit the horn. You don't want to be that guy. But like I said, you give it, what, what, what's the acceptable time? Three Mississippis, five, five, some of those things, you've seen the ones that go green, yellow. I'm like, what? <laughs> Who has the kind of reaction time? You have to ramp up the turn. Unless you're in New York City, and then the acceptable time is just before the green light comes on. Yeah, exactly. Well, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. well you know, and, and my wife and I have kind of a, a one of our areas that we have a disagreement about. She'll be sitting in the passenger side, and it'll be one Mississippi, two Mississippi. From the passenger side, she'll reach over and honk my horn. Oh, oh boy. Okay, now yeah. I'm responsible for what she's done because when the guy looks back, he's not looking at her. He's looking at me. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then at your funeral, they say, how did he die? <laughs> <laughs> his, wife, his wife took it upon herself to honk, and the guy came out guns blazing. He got shot. His last words were, it was my wife. <laughs> it was her. I take her with me. It wasn't me. Does oh, that man. make her an accessory after the fact? Does that make her an accessory after the fact? <laughs> you have to look that up. You know, <laughs> be, being uh, of the background that we all are, we could do this for hours, but uh, yeah. alas, we we need to run real quick. But it's a shameless self promotion time, Lou. Where are you okay. gonna be? Who can see you? Where Where do we go, man? Easiest way to find me, lousantini.com, L-O-U-S-A-N-T-I-N-I. It has my calendar there. I, you can download my uh, books that are available on Amazon, and you can also listen to my podcast, Amateur Nation. The, the podcast is based on the book, which is based on my stand-up, uh, but amateurs meaning people who are simply doing life wrong, like the guy at the front of the line not paying attention <laughs> who doesn't turn. That's an amateur. But I have an equation real quick. It's called stupid plus obnoxious times rude divided by entitled plus inconsiderate equals amateur. And to, be an, and to be an amateur, you only need two of those factors. But the more factors you have, the higher level of amateur you are. So the book is on Amazon. It's called Amateur Nation, The Decline of Common Sense, Manners, and Social Skills. And you can check out the podcast, too. Awesome. I will also help you out here. He's also going to be at Hilarities in Cleveland on uh, Sunday. 
May the 30th at 7 o'clock. That's right. Out there. Yeah, that'll be, there'll be other dates forthcoming, some corporate events, and I got some other uh, comedy club stuff coming up as well, too. But thanks so much for having me. I had a great time. I could, you're right. We could do this all day. You're right. Lou Santini, appreciate you spending some time. We're going to have to have you back, man. Right here. Anytime, anytime. The Approach Shot. If you want a good cigar, you go to a good cigar shop. You want the best, you go to Famous Smoke Shop. Let us deliver your favorite cigars right to your doorstep at America's lowest price. Famous started out as a small shop in New York City. Now we're putting our 80 years experience in the business to work making deals in the cigars you love. From wallet-friendly, everyday smokes to high-end luxury cigars to mark a lifetime achievement. Let us show you with this exclusive Famous offer. Go to FamousSmoke.com and pick from more than 8,000 cigar brands, fresh and ready to ship from our client-controlled 24,000-square-foot humidor. Then check out with the promo code 24U. That's 20-F-O-R-Y-O-U, and we'll take $20 off your order of $99 or more. Every purchase you make is backed by our famous freshness guarantee. Get real cigars from a real cigar shop and save $20. Now with the promo code 24U. Ship direct to you from FamousSmoke.com. That's FamousSmoke.com. And there you have it, yet another shining example of what can be done when you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> well, Lou Santini is hilarious. He is indeed. And I, I do think that that wasn't just an empty promise. I think we will have him back. Yes. But getting back to David Kelly for a second. Okay. It's interesting that he says that his books were rejected and he had to write over and over and over again before they finally got it down. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking today online and I'm reading from a website called MLBTradeRumors.com. It's about baseball and people being traded. Right. And the headline is, and I'm quoting, Bryce Harper feels good after being hit by pitch. It goes on to talk about the fact that in a game this week, In a scary development, Phillies outfielder Bryce Harper left this evening's game against the Cardinals after he was struck in the face by a 97-mile-an-hour fastball. Mm. If this were David Kelly, I do believe he would tell them not to make the headline, Bryce Harper feels good after being hit by pitch. (laughs) I don't think they meant what it says. I think what they meant was he's recovered and so bad but I don't think, see, that's, if you go to, if you had an editor saying somebody feels good after being hit in the face by a 97 mile an hour fastball, probably not exactly the way it should be written. Here's something that you're old enough to remember. Tony Canigliaro. Yeah. He got yeah. hit, he got hit in the eye socket. In the eye socket. And never played again. Right. Well, and, and lost sight in that eye, yeah. didn't he? And Bryce yeah. Harper missed that by well, thanks for taking that to an ugly place, John. I- oh, you're welcome, man. <laughs> I just, I just wanted you to know that that how lucky Bryce is, and he should feel yeah. good. He should feel blessed. Yeah, that that actually is what he was saying. He said, yeah. you know, tests came back good. He'll he can't wait to to be out there with the fans again. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Well, yeah. good good luck and speedy recovery to Bryce, and I'm sure that pitcher is going to feel terrible for the rest of his life. Yes, uh, probably so. In fact, if you recall, some of the pitchers that have hit people inadvertently have um, had trouble afterward. I remember Donnie Moore mm-hmm. uh, who of the California angels had that issue and later committed suicide. So oh, and you think that, I'm taking it to a dark place. Yeah. Okay. I knew you were going to say, that. 
Yeah. So remember when we were talking about making this a comedy podcast? <laughs> I think perhaps maybe we shouldn't have, as we talked about with Lou, maybe we shouldn't have had to make that left turn. <laughs> I subscribe to the Rush Limbaugh theory of driving. One left turn equals three right turns. That's exactly right. There's a reason that people do it at NASCAR events, but not on the streets of L.A. (laughs) Uh, Listen, man, we would tell you what uh, what's coming up next week, but we'd spoil a surprise. That's right. And and frankly, you know what? We we it's a coin flip. You know, it, we know it's going to be somebody that we really enjoy and that you really enjoy. So just hang with us because it's us. Yeah, exactly. And a little a little insight. If you are going to follow and maybe bet online on the Kentucky Derby, I have some advice. Uh, don't bet on the favorite. Oh, that's all. Okay. Favorite never wins. Actually, favorite has won only minuscule number of times. Okay, there and, you go. And also, I get in an argument. Uh, the first winner of the first Kentucky Derby in 1875. They say his name is Aristides. Yes, but anybody ever take literature, the the Greek playwrights? How would you pronounce that if he was a Greek playwright? You would pronounce it Aristides. Aristides, yeah. You know, like the the Taylor ones, Euripides and Eumenides. Remember them? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm having trouble uh, remembering you, Dees. <laughs> or those too. Uh, we are the approach shot, and uh, and for what's happened in the past few minutes, we're sorry. We are sorry, but but happy um, happy Cinco de Mayo. Oh yes, uh, it's a, it, being a San Diegan, it's a very big, big, big day here. So you've had your fifteen dollar cocktails. Uh-huh. I think I'll probably have mine this weekend. <laughs> and uh, you know, next week we could be slurring a lot. That's right. A friend of mine once said, "You know, how stupid is it to name your Independence Day after the day on the calendar, Cinco de Mayo?" And I think we had that argument on the Fourth uh, of July. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well done. We'll be back next week, hopefully. Yes, <laughs> Yes, indeed. Here's where you say something about bagpipes. Remember that golf. Yes, see, I knew we were going to mention golf eventually. (laughs) There it is, golf. Boom. The same people invented golf and called it a game that invented bagpipes and called it music. And do remember that life is a gift, though listening to this is starting to make you wonder. (laughs) Go open it. You've been listening to The Approach Shot with the Weekend Golf Guys. If you like this week's episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. And find us on the web at ApproachShot.net. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. You only want what's best for your baby. And so does BJ's. BJ's offers a variety of baby products that will take you from playtime to bath time to bedtime and beyond. Shop now through September 24th at BJ's for $3 off Johnson's, Aveeno, or Desitin baby products. Only the best will do when it comes to caring for your little ones. 
and for parents, too. Give your baby that special care and save big at BJ's.